And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. This is my top of the second hour cruise through the news. Try to tell you as many stories as I can in this short top of the hour segment. To start with, first of all, thank you so much, very much for tuning in. As a little point of personal privilege, uh, I was going to tell you a kind of cute thing that happened at our house. It was really, uh, I don't know why, it just touched me so much, but we had a, um, a maintenance person come, and I don't really know them. I mean, they, they came to uh, work on something, and so they left a note. You know, when they leave, they usually say, you know, got this fixed or got to come back and do something else. And anyway, so at the bottom of this note where it normally says, you know, everything's working now or we're still got to fix this, this person, and I don't even know who it was, but this maintenance person at our house wrote, Mrs. Georgiatis, love your show. Please keep up the good work with a smiley face. Is that not just too cute? I don't know why that really touched me um, because I wouldn't have known these people would listen to my show, but love that they do. Okay, uh, so at this top of the hour, I'm going to run through um, a couple other stories that I um, – you know, could talk about more if I had time to do more. Um, I want to start with Donald Trump had a tweet and it kind of, as, as I was reading it in the break, realizing it's kind of what I was saying, which Donald Trump, uh, he had a tweet, which is very similar to a remark he made at one of his rallies. And his tweet says, you don't hand matches to an arsonist and you don't give power to an angry left-wing mob. Democrats have become too extreme and too dangerous to govern. Republicans Believe in the rule of law, not the rule of the mob. Vote Republican. It's a, I retweeted it. If you're on Twitter, if you're not, you should be on Twitter. But if you're on Twitter, you should retweet that. It was a great tweet, and it's, a, it's just it, it's the fundamental point. You know, people talk about all elections are local, but actually they're really not. They, they don't need to be, and, and in this particular era, they should not be. Republicans need to have a national theme, kind of similar not exactly, but along the lines of Newt Gingrich, where he had that, you know, we're going to contract with America, we're going to promise you certain things. We need to be using this episode. I'm not saying the Democrats became an angry mob in this episode with Kavanaugh. I'm saying the Kavanaugh episode episode revealed them for the, the, the left-wing mindset that has been there for a long time. Very anti-American, very belligerent, very totalitarian, very nobody, uh, you must do what we say, you must rule the way we say. But the American public got a chance to see it in this Kavanaugh episode, and we need to remember it, and we need to tell our friends about it. I mean, I honestly, it was kind of extraordinary. Um, so the, anyway, that was my little um, special story about the guy at our house and, and Trump's tweet. But I also want to tell other quick stories. So we were at this um, convention back east. Uh, this it wasn't a convention, it was a conference. But what I want to mention is, you know, in just four weeks, we have the midterm elections. It now appears that the Senate, you know, the state Senate, that the Republicans are probably even going to gain seats. But this election could not be more important. And a lot of people on the Republican side feel pretty comfortable because, you know, we have we have the White House, we have the Senate, we have the House. This is not a presidential year. Maybe I'll just sit it out. And we cannot do that because the Democrats are have worked people into an irrational lather around this country by their Trump hatred and their just just general hatred of America attitude. And so they will turn out. We need to turn out. And, you know, I think sometimes we can get, we can 
get a little bit too much false confidence about where we are in this election as we watch President Trump's rallies. Because he, I mean, these rallies, I love them. He's, you know, he's just in Topeka. He's just, you know, he's been all over the place. He's doing these rallies. They always have the places packed, out the door, down the street, you know, extras of extra flow rooms, you know, just overflow rooms. People can stand and watch him on television because they couldn't get in the main room. So you think, wow, America's with him. Well, I do think a lot of America is with the Trump agenda. They're with him. But that does not necessarily translate into votes unless you tell everyone you know. You get out yourself and vote. If you live in a state that you can vote early, vote early. Tell your friends to vote early. Tell everyone you know to vote early. Because I will tell you, I almost I hesitated telling you, my listeners, but I'm going to tell you. At this conference, these people who live in this just kind of dive in and do numbers all the time, they say it's possible Republicans could lose between 40 and 55 seats in the U.S. House. Obviously, we lose the majority in the U.S. House if that happens. And if that happens, I will, as soon as sure as I'm sitting here talking to you, the Democrats will impeach. President Trump, if they have a majority in the House. We don't know how it works on the Constitution. The House has the legal, the, the only, is the only entity, the only, uh, you know, group that can mo- impeach him. And then the vote would move to the Senate to remove him if after an impeachment, if he was, if he was uh, impeached in the House. Now, I'm just telling you, even if the Republicans had a, you know, 70, uh, you know, majority seat in, uh, you know, we had the Senate by 70 seats. If the if the Democrats get the House, they will move to impeach. It will not matter. I I gave a speech recently and someone was raising the hand in the Q&A. But why? I mean, there's nothing to impeach him over. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that he has not he's not committed an impeachable offense. He's there and they hate him and therefore they want to take him out and they will so this midterm election turning out to vote for president for every single member of the house voting republican turning out at the um turning out for the whole uh, election cycle is vital i'm debbie georgiatis this is america can we talk come right back after our break and be right back. Or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. 
Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, Go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I have a guest coming up the next segment, and I want to be sure to leave time in this segment near the end to tell you a little bit about her story. This is the wife of former U.S. Congressman Stockman from the great state of Texas, and she's joining me in the next segment. And uh, I'm going to tell you his story uh, in a moment, but I want to go back to what we were talking about. You know, this, um, what we all have been observing, the ability of left-wing academia of the the uh, anti-American left in Washington to get women especially, but get people so confused, so unthinking that they reach conclusions like, because I was sexually assaulted by some guy in college 30 years ago, this woman I've never met should be believed over this guy I've never met about an incident I have no idea. This is because the victim ideology has been just, 
bored into their mindset, bored into like just just drilled into how they see the world. This is their framework for the world. Well, um, and it's it's very 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 troubling. Very you know just astonishingly unhealthy. Um, but I want to mention something uh, that I came across, and actually, uh, it really. You know, we talk about snowflake stories and we we have individual examples in colleges. We've talked before about how uh, I think it's Berkeley, uh, certainly it's Berkeley and other schools where you can basically you go there freshman year and you can take classes in, you know, how to combat how to um, combat, you know, uh, white privilege or why I why white people should hate themselves because we have white privilege and just an endless array of classes and the approaches and the mindset that teach students that the way to think about life, the way to think about America, the way to think about your identity is all about group identity. It's all about you're a victim and we'll t- don't worry, we'll explain to you why you're a victim and who is your, who's the person who is victimizing you so you know who to hate this week. And this is, this is the basis not just of these ridiculous college courses where i mean a lot of them even just the identity the um you know the hyphenated identity mentality is implanted so you can go to college and study and major in women's studies and in gender studies and in queer studies all sorts of identity studies that do nothing more that embed in your mind that you're a victim that you have a grievance, that the purpose of life is to formulate the next grievance and to find someone to accuse and then to work Americans into a lather to hate some other group because you've decided they're the ones who are in some way aggrieving you. Well, three students set out to do something which I think is really informative, really fun, very, very serious. But uh, these three students were named Helen Pluck Rose, James Lindsay, and Peter Boghossian, like B-O-G, Boghossian. The three of them were, were noticing, they, they titled their paper, Academic Grievance Studies and the Corruption of Scholarship. And they're basically saying so much of what's happening in colleges, ideologically motivated scholarship. I mean, instead of studying, you know, the cause of the American Revolution or the, the mission of the American Revolution or the causes of the Civil War or how we solve certain issues, all the things that used to be why you go to college, whether it was biology, chemistry, physics, you know, astronomy, uh, whatever you were going, you were studying it, literature and, and diving into reading literature, ancient literature and modern to learn and grow instead you go to the co- you go to college today to figure out which grievance industry you should join who you should feel aggrieved by and and it has destroyed scholarships these three students began a project it's hilarious actually it began a project uh, they were they were getting after the problems of ideologically motivated scholarship radical skepticism and cultural constructivism. And I tell you, even these three who are trying to expose this still have a lot of the language where you're just like, isn't there a way in plain English you could have said that? But what they set out to do is to write papers, come up with the most bizarre topics based on this endless grievance mentality, write papers, and seek to have them published 
in various publications. They say in their big thesis, they, they finally they had to stop doing it, but they, they wrote 20 papers. But they, had, they said the primary point of the project, we, what we just described, is not knowledge. It is not knowledge production. It is sophistry. It's fake. It's not real. It's just constructed silliness. But they set out, it's a forgery of knowledge was one thing they talked about. They just tried to come up with ideas. And so they say, sometimes we just thought a nutty or inhumane idea up and then we ran with it. What if we write a paper saying we should train men like we do dogs to prevent, to prevent the rape culture, which doesn't exist, by the way, to prevent rape culture. Hence, they had the dog park paper to talk about the thesis that we should train men like we do dogs. They actually wrote a paper and advanced this thesis. They wrote a paper. Okay, this is a little bit crass, but still, I'm going to share it because it's really, I mean, just, they got these things published. What if we write a paper claiming that when a guy privately masturbates while thinking about a woman without her consent, in fact, without her ever even finding out about it, he's committing sexual violence against her. They gave that, they called that the masturbation paper. And then, they, I mean, they have all sorts of the feminist Al paper. They have the, a fat body is legitimately built body. They have just all sorts. They sometimes scoured existing grievance studies literature to see where it was already going awry. And then they tried to magnify the idiocy, I mean, just moral idiocy, academic idiocy they were reading. So they had feminist, this is a true story, feminist glaciology. Okay, we'll copy it and write a feminist astronomy paper that argues feminist and queer astrology should be considered part of the science of astronomy. And we'll brand it as intrinsic, which we'll say astronomy is intrinsically sexist astronomy, like where the stars are, you know, how the entire universe is moving is in their what they constructed. They characterize it as inherently sexist reviewers were enthusiastic about that idea. They actually got academics to review these completely absurd ideas. And then they wrote a paper. Um, Okay, let me find this. Using a method like thematic thematic analysis to spin favored interpretations of data. We wrote a paper about trans people in the workplace. Men use male preserves to enact dying macho masculinities discourses in a way society won't accept. No problem. We published a paper best summarized as a gender scholar goes to Hooters to try to figure out why it exists. Okay, I could go on and on. But the point is, these people wrote 20 papers in one year. All academic idiocy. Nothing, no, no knowledge being pursued at all. But they wrote these papers, and they got seven accepted. Seven of the 20 accepted. Four got more, got published online. Three have been accepted without having had time to see the publication through, like they got accepted but it hasn't been published yet, seven are still in play, then they had to call it a halt. I guess finally someone figured out what they were doing. But I, I tell you all this to say that when you read things like this woman I mentioned earlier who talked about that the you know Susan Collins and any women 
who would dare to say, I think Justice Kavanaugh should be confirmed to the Supreme Court. I think we have insufficient evidence of any wrongdoing. I think this this accuser might be lying. But the the way that conclusion is read by people who've gone through academia in this era is, well, these are just gender traitors. They can't be women who can think for themselves and might come up with a conclusion that is different from a conclusion that somebody else would come up with. These people have been trained to think in ideology, in groupthink, in in just your identity is the the thinking we've assigned to you, and they can't get out of it. They can't function in modern life. And so among the many things we have to do to save America, which is a mission of my show, is to really begin to challenge academia more, to call out these crazy courses, to call out these studies, to recognize they're not just silly and meaningless, but they actually are hurting America. Okay, I got to give it take a few seconds here before we go off to our break to introduce my uh, next guest, my only guest tonight. I have joining us at the next hour, Patty Stock, um, Stockman. Her husband, Steve Stockman, was prosecuted by the Obama Justice Department in what many scholars are calling a clearly political persecution. Tell you more after the break. Debbie George Jadis, America Coming Talk on Facebook Live. Come back in four minutes. And. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. If you are listening to America Can We Talk, you know that my show is dedicated to preserving the exceptional idea that is America. I want to take a minute to tell you what I mean by that. Unlike almost every other country on the planet, America's culture, our very identity, has nothing at all to do with ethnicity, race, or national origin. Instead, America is all about ideas, including the most basic idea that each of us, simply because we were born has the God-given right to live out our individual version of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness within the guardrails of the Constitution and our laws. Preserving this requires patriots in every American generation to grasp the importance of this truth, to recognize and fight back against the subtle and not-so-subtle relentless attacks on American liberty, and to speak up for and defend the unique culture of American-style liberty. The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What is it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, please visit urbancure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America. 
America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. Welcome back. I am Debbie Georgiatis, and this is America Can We Talk? And we have a happy news system here in front of me, so I want to double-check. We have our caller online. We do. We do. Okay. Okay. So, first of all, welcome back to America Can We Talk? I believe we have online with us Patty Stockman. Hi, Patty. Hi, Debbie. How are you? Just great. I'm so glad to have you on. I want to take a minute to tell a little bit more about what's going on with your husband and then I want to turn to you. So just for our listeners to all get on the same page. So uh, here in the great state of Texas, we, had a, we have a former congressman named Steve Stockman. And to make a long story short, he was prosecuted beginning under the Obama administration um, for a series of alleged violations of the campaign finance laws. And allow me to remind you how uh, I have said this so many times, the campaign finance laws are they are. They're interwoven with tripwires. They are they they are capable of being interpreted in a way that can then is one person's conduct is is apparently very egregious. Somebody else's is not. And but her husband, this woman we're speaking to, Patty, her husband Steve Stockman was prosecuted by the Obama administration and then on to and anyway ended up being um, convicted. Is awaiting sentencing. And there is a great deal of outrage about this among many knowledgeable conservatives in this country because it seems as though this was a this this uh, was 
a politically motivated persecution that the uh, conduct involved was is the, the alleged sentence that might be being considered is far more just just way in ex- excess of any uh, if there were violations of the of the law. I want to stay away from the details of the violations because I think or the alleged violations because I think that they may end up at some point being appealed. But I want to start with, with Patty asking you. You're, you know what kinds of things your husband did that got him a little sideways with the Obama administration and the Clintons, too. So <laughs> can you just start by telling us what kinds of things he did that would have brought him to their attention? Sure, uh, Debbie. Both times Steve went to Congress, he, he went up uh, to D.C. not to be a guy that went along to go along, goes along to get along. He definitely went up there to swim against the, against the flow and to try to pull our nation back from the brink of, uh, of going over the edge of destruction. Um, so he went up to do the right things and do them boldly, and he was never afraid to speak out. Um, he was never concerned that, uh, of how it might look. He just told the truth. Um, and so in the 90s when he was there during the Clinton administration, he was constantly frustrating their efforts. He served on one of the congressional committees that looked into the, um, into the um, whitewater investigations that involved them. Um, so he was, he was rather a thorn in the Clinton side. And then when he went back in 20, January 2013, uh, while the Obamas were in the White House, he was constantly blowing the whistle on the many um, corruptions of the Obama administration. In fact, he just two weeks into office, he um, he did a press release saying that you, it was in the wake of Sandy Hook, Sandy Hook shooting, elementary shootings, and he said if the Obama if if Obama oversteps his authority as executive with executive orders to limit Second Amendment rights. Uh, he was willing to consider all tools at his disposal, including uh, withholding funding for certain activities or filing litigation against the administration or even possibly considering articles of impeachment. Well, the nation, national press blew up with Congressman threatens impeachment when he said it was one of the tools he would consider. Um, then the next two weeks later, he invited Ted Nugent, who is on the NRA board of directors, to be his guest at the State of the Union address um, to help just show his support, Steve's support of the Second Amendment, and also have a, a, a spokesperson there to talk about um, the Second Amendment when uh, Mr. Obama was discussing gun control. So those were two of the things right out of the shoot that yep. my husband did. Yeah, I'm going to jump in and mention a couple other ones because our listeners are, would have followed these stories in particular. He, he discussed, uh, this is Congressman Stockman, discussed pursuing impeachment of Eric Holder as the Attorney General for perjury because he failed and he failed to comply with subpoenas related to Operation Fast and Furious. Congressman Stockman also called for uh, called out IRS and Lois Lerner and the failure and, and the uh, just corruption within the IRS for targeting political enemies. So Steve Stockman went to Washington and he did what most people sitting at home, most conservatives sitting at home, wish people in Congress would do, which is call out wrongdoing. He was very forceful, very outspoken, um, and ended up being, as I say, in this subject, this pros- subject, this prosecution uh, related to alleged campaign of finance violations. Um, he also, I'm sorry, you, you have something to say. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I was just going to jump in there and say that, in fact, he, he filed a resolution calling for the arrest of Lois Lerner for her contempt of Congress. And it was just two weeks later that the FBI knocked on his apartment door. I was back in Texas. They knocked on the apartment door up there in the D.C. area. And thus ensued this multiple year and millions and millions of taxpayer dollars investigation of my husband, every avenue of his life. Yep. And, you know, this, uh, I will tell you that there's someone we, you, uh, my listeners will recognize the name, Sydney Powell. We've had her in our show many times, actually discussing the Mueller and FBI and the FISA gate, all of that. But she, Sydney Powell, has also commented on this prosecution of, of Congressman Stockman, in particular describing the public integri- integrity section of the Department of Justice as, as she says, Sydney Powell says, wrongly named, it is notorious for political prosecution. Sydney Powell has tweeted and written about the, the, her view that this prosecution of Steve Stockman was a persecution, that he was singled out, treated unfairly. And in particular, I want to mention the kind of thing that um, we talked about a second ago that has to do with the FEC you know, campaign violation, campaign donation uh, limit violations. You may remember the story of Dinesh D'Souza, who uh, was prosecuted and and you know we've talked he's been on the show we've talked about it uh, several times that his conduct in w- with respect to donations to to a, a friends for uh, campaign resulted in him actually getting sentenced i think it was eight months in a in a halfway house which was filled with murderers and rapists and horrible people and in the same year the very same year he was prosecuted and convicted a uh, a donor who also happened to be of Indian descent, as Dinesh D'Souza is, uh, was caught in ma- making many, much larger, like five times larger donations illegally to the Hillary Clinton campaign, and he got a slap on the wrist. And so this was is pointed by Dinesh D'Souza all the time that there is the ability to make criminal uh, to use the criminal statutes for political persecution. So Patty, we have two and a half minutes here. You got your petition going. Tell us about your our, our listeners about the petition you have going. All right, well, let me just say before that um, that let your listeners know um, Steve's case is, is super complicated and it's much bigger than campaign finance violations that they claim. It's it's just really complicated, and all the crimes that they stack up against him add up to 283 years imprisonment. So uh, Steve's expecting the judge to sentence him to possibly 20 years or more. And uh, Steve is 60, he'll be 62 next month, and that will be basically life in prison for him. So uh, because, because all indicators point to this being politically motivated, prosecution, not something that's really legitimate. Um, we ha- we're, we're seeking in, um, signatures on a petition to the president to ask him to pardon my husband, um, because once, someone's, once someone is convicted um, and sentenced with a felony, there is no parole. There's no time off for good behavior or you did, you did good, you can come out now. You serve the entire sentence. Uh, and so these charges stack up to s- such an ungodly number that people can go on uh, the website, defendapatriot.com, and there's a place there to check, I want to help. At least that's what the button says right now, uh, I want to help. And then there's several ways that they can help, including um, checking the box that says, yes, 
uh, put my name and city on the petition to the president asking him to pardon Steve. Um, so that's one of the options. And there are other ways that they might see they'd like to help as well. And obviously, uh, the, facing the uh, full force of the federal government with all of our tax po- taxpayer dollars at their disposal is is a mountain it, that any, yeah. any defendant can't can't fight that financially. Right. You, and yeah. So. Yeah, I got to jump in. You can't fight the government. I mean, they have all the resources at their disposal. Very expensive to be pro- um, prosecuted. I'm glad you mentioned defendapatriot.com. Listeners, you should go there. Read the pleadings. You can go actually read the actual pleadings. You can read the story. You can sign the petition. And we're out of time here, but I will tell you, in the petition I have right in front of me, it does indicate there's a key government witness who now testifies the government attempted to coerce him to testify falsely and also that Mr. Sockman is innocent and the trial is a show trial. Patty Stockman, thank you so much for calling in. My pleasure. Thank, thank you, you so much, folks. We'll be right back after the break. If you're on Facebook Live, come back in four minutes. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Have you heard of the Policy Circle? It's a national network of women who come together in neighborhood conversations to discuss the public policies impacting their communities. You can think of it as a book club, but instead of reviewing a book, members discuss public policy issues. Policy Circle members have access to membership-only resources and benefits that complement a thoughtful framework for women to come together and have fact-based discussions. From healthcare to poverty... From free enterprise to education, from fiscal responsibility to the First Amendment, we discuss the issues that shape America. Change starts with a conversation. Conversations happen when women across the nation are connected and engaged in their communities, openly sharing their views and taking a leadership role in policy dialogue on what human creativity can accomplish in a free economy. Are you ready to join a growing network of engaged women? To join or start your own policy circle, visit thepolicycircle.org today. That's thepolicycircle.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony list, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. 
and Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity, and it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgianis. I hate talking over our music. I love our theme music. And it really is kind of, it works so well with the message of this show. I do this radio show entirely to speak up for the extraordinary, unique greatness of America, to try to encourage everyone to appreciate it more, love it more, defend it more. Every generation has a job to preserve the liberty that our, upon which our nation was founded. So I want to give a, take a moment thank our sponsor. Could not do this show without them. GC Works sponsors America Can We Talk. GC Works is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Very grateful for them. Um, I also want to go back, you know, uh, to finish that last segment. Every interview we do, the whole two hours goes by too fast. I will say it's the fastest two hours of my week. The interview we just did went by too fast. And Patty Stockman, I just happened to meet her over the weekend at this conference and realized I'd read about her husband, Congressman Steve Stockman, who was prosecuted. And, you know, when you read uh, just a quick media summary, sounds like, well, you know, they mentioned some federal laws. Sounds like maybe they were broken. It's really, I, I was just so impressed, number one, with her uh, tenacity. She, she has just pulled this petition together. I said it quickly, so I want to repeat something I said at the close of that last interview. This petition is she's trying to get people to sign it to urge President Trump to pardon her husband. And again, without going into great detail of the, you know, na- the nature of the of various charges, um, I read a bunch about it, and I don't want to, I mean, I'm not in the middle of the case. I'm not a lawyer in the case. I, you know, I don't know all the different arguments they would make, but you just get the overwhelming sense this is a guy who made the Obama administration angry. He made the Clintons angry. He was outspoken about Obama's abuse, his weaponizing of the IRS against the American people, against their political enemies. He called out wrongdoing in Washington. He would not be a swamp creature. He wouldn't go there and just kind of 
get a go figure out. Oh yeah, when you're in Washington, everybody knows you go along. You you, you know you whatever um, the party line is. We both we all say Democrats and Republicans. We don't really point out wrongdoing. He said he went and said no. I'm going to point this out. So he was outspoken. And there, if you Google, you can see different things he said. So. I was really, it captured my heart. This and, I, and the things I read too, by the way, on our website again, org. you can go and read one article that summarized a lot of the arguments about why this seems like it was a political persecution instead of a legitimate prosecution. And so she's got this petition. And I, the point I said briefly was among the, you know, in petitions they cite, whereas at certain points, Whereas a key government witness now testifies that the government attempted to coerce him to testify falsely, that he participated in a spy network at the behest of Stockman. So that was the government tried to tell him, get him to lie. And whereas that key government witness now says Mr. Stockman is innocent and the trial was a show trial like that in the Soviet Union. Cannot urge you strongly enough to Go to this website. Again, the website is defendapatriot.com. Read about the case. Read the pleadings, uh, which are amazingly linked if you want to read them, um, and and sign the petition. Show your, your support because these people, I mean, you know, when the government, as Sidney Powell has said on my show many times, when the government, especially the resources of the federal government, are after you, you it's overwhelmingly difficult to defend yourself. If you're not independently wealthy, you don't have the quality representation, the breadth of legal representation you need. I mean, it was just a, uh, it's a horrific thing, and I urge you to read about it. Okay, so, you know, as I always mention on the show, I'm about uh, defending America, and one last little thing that I, at this conference I was at over the weekend, my husband and I were at, um, we actually met the guy uh, whom I've mentioned on this show before named Coach Kennedy, he is a was a football coach um, in Bremerton, Bremerton School District, and which is in uh, it's in Oregon or Washington. I always forget. Anyway, one of those two, East Coast. I mean, West Coast, Oregon or Washington. Anyway, so he was a football coach, and he had um, committed uh, as he he was an ex marine. He'd been in the Marines. Uh, he got out. He wanted to coach football, and he had become a Christian and. Uh, committed that he wanted to silently pray after the end of football games, uh, big public high school football games, uh, to thank God for the game, his, his the player's safety, uh, just his presence and, and care. So he was doing this thing at the end of football games, just taking a knee at the 50-yard line, silently, 15 seconds. I'm not, he's not like disrupting anything. The game's over, the, you know, Kids are singing the fight song. He just, this is something he'd committed to do. And to, to in his heart and in his prayer, committed to God, he was going to thank him. So whether you think he did or didn't need to do that, or you wouldn't have done that, or you've never seen that before, the guy wasn't hurting anybody. In fact, the school and the parents kind of got used to it and kind of, they, they were not unhappy with it. But somebody complained finally, and the end of the story, to make the long story short, is that the school district told him if, if he didn't stop, they were going to fire him because it was a potential violation of the First Amendment. It appeared to be, because he's a school employee, that if he's praying and being seen in public praying, that that might constitute a violation of the First Amendment 
of the it might be an establishment of religion. That is an absurd interpretation of the First Amendment. But the school district didn't want to get sued by these anti-Christian parents and anti-Christian groups that are plentiful in America who go after uh, any public expressions of faith. So anyway, he ended up losing his job. First Liberty, which is an organization based, it's a law firm based here in Dallas, headed up by Kelly Shackelford, good friend, smart guy, great guy. Kelly Shackelford runs First Liberty. They took his case. They challenged the, the right of the Bremerton School District to fire this coach. And so the case went first to the Ninth Circuit, ended up at the Ninth Circuit, which is a, the most liberal federal circuit court of appeal. So it's a federal appeals court. Ninth Circuit agreed that he could be fired for, you know, uh, taking a knee, silently praying. And so, uh, and so now the case was is on. Uh, they they've, they're seeking cert. They're they're applying to get the case heard by the Supreme Court. So one interesting thing that happened was that the eight justices who up until yesterday there were eight justices they have meetings they sit and discuss which cases to take, and his case was on their list to go through to decide whether or not to hear the case, whether to grant certiorari and hear the case, but. The uh, the justices put off the decision about whether to take this case. So n- until they had a fifth, you know, they had the nine, the full complement of federal court, uh, Supreme Court justice. So they had the ninth uh, justice join the court who now has joined. Justice Kavanaugh is now in the courts. So that'll happen this week. They'll they'll look at this case and decide whether to hear it. But I, I mentioned for another reason, too. So I met this justice, this, um, you know, Coach Kennedy, who's just, you know, down to earth. He's a football coach. I mean, he, he just kind of, but he told two quick stories that were kind of heart melting. I want to close out the show tonight and tell you, and really just, just kind of so Americana. Uh, one uh, story was that he'd already been told by the school that he had to stop taking a knee. He told his team and the team, some of the kids used to like to come over with him and sit down and pray with them because they, they were mostly Christian kids. They wanted to pray too. After the game, short prayer to themselves. It wasn't out loud. It wasn't, you know, it was just a short, you know, thank you for safety and protection and all, whatever else they prayed. So, but he told the kids, look, I'm getting in trouble for this. So you need to, don't come out there. I'm just going to go. So, the, you know, he just wanted to keep his commitment. So the kids, the game is over. The kids are on the sidelines and they're singing their fight song. His team singing the fight song. He just goes to the to his knee. I get think in the fifty yard line ends or wherever he was, you know, on the field, fifteen seconds to say thank you to God. And he's telling this story at this conference saying, and all of a sudden he can just feel people around him, like the kids are people around him. And he said, Frankly, they just played a football game. I could smell the kids around me. These are, you know, these are boys who just played football for an hour and a half. They, you know, sweaty. So he turned around to say, Hey, you really didn't need to come over. But it wasn't his team. It was the other team that had played that night. They knew the story too. They wanted to support him. They liked prayer. They wanted to be part of supporting him. So the other team, who his his team was like blue and gold. The other team is red and white. He said there's this sea of red and white players supporting him. Very heart melting, very tender. And the other thing, the other quick story was he told about his life growing up and he didn't have, he was a little bit wild. He ended up being sent off to a boys school. Like a, I think he might've been a kind of in, he was in trouble. Okay. He's, he's in like a, you know, reform kind of school. And one particular guy at the reform school would not 
give up on him. He wanted him to to find God, to straighten out his life, to stop being, because he just had been, you know, he had a lot of reasons in his life. If you hear his life story, a lot of reasons he kind of got off track, but whatever, he got off track. So in this school, this one particular adult was very much pushing him to, you know, to accept Christ, to straighten out his life, to stop acting up all the time. And, you know, he, and I, I think he didn't at that time respond to that. So in this case now, in this case now, he's, this last night I described, you know, he's, he goes to his knees, this other team shows up, he's walking away from that, he's already kind of teary, he, he's losing his job, they're going to, they told him, you do it again, you're fine, and he's, no, he's just saying, he doesn't think he should be punished for praying in public, and he's not trying to force anyone to convert, he's not doing, he's just praying in public, so he's walking from the field to go to a press conference. He's going to have to answer questions at the press conference. You know, you understand you did it again tonight. They're probably going to fire you. He was, he's, he's getting ready to answer. This is, you know, 30 plus years since the time he was in reform school as a teenager. And he goes around. He's trying to avoid all the parents and the attention. So he's kind of going around the back of the bleachers. And he feels someone reaches out and grabs his shoulder. And he turned to look and see who it was. It was the guy from the reform school who had driven like 75 miles to come in, who'd been watching his career as a coach, drove in, and he said the guy just hugged him, you know, took kind of cupped his face in his hands, never said a word, turned around and left and drove home. But that guy was coming to say, yay, it got through to you. So this was a guy, this Coach Kennedy, he's a salt-of-the-earth coach. And I, I want to part, uh, leave with this. We're about out of time tonight. But, you know, there's this great work going on in this country defending the founding ideas of America, including by groups like First Liberty and Kelly Shackelford. And there is just tremendous power in the normal, mainstream, heart and soul, good America standing up. And that's what I hope you will do, too, for our great country all the time. I'm Debbie George S. America Can We Talk. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to americacanwetalk.org. America Can We Talk. Truth about America. America.